This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for January 10th, episode 2094, brought to you by Horseware. Mary Kitzmiller is on the road this morning on her way to pick up some Mustangs for the Mustang makeovers. So sit back and enjoy this blast from the past featuring helpful training tips from Mary on a wide variety of topics. What is your favorite day of the week? You never stop learning. You never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse. Exciting, knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday. For those of you with real jobs, tomorrow's Friday. So the weekend's going to be here. You'll be able to go out and ride in no time. But I have to ask you, Mary, with all that rain you've had in Texas, have the mosquitoes hatched? Um, yes. And they have returned with a vengeance. Or actually, they never left. I was getting bit by mosquitoes on Christmas. Well, we had a hatch here. We had rain last week, and we had a hatch. And oh my God, the last like last night and today went out to get the horses, and they were just covered in mosquitoes. This is the time of year in Florida when you have to pretty much spray yourself the minute you walk out the door because you can't wait two minutes. You'll be eaten alive. Did you see my Benadryl crisis on Facebook? No. <laughs> okay, so you may know that Guthrie is allergic to all of the things. I've actually had Guthrie's testing. pretty much allergic to everything in the world. Yes, 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 including that, that, any explain bug. Explain to everybody, new listeners, who Guthrie is. Oh, Guthrie is my very special quarter horse, whom I love dearly. And he's kind of like that kid in school who couldn't go on the field trips without his mom. And he <laughs> had to have his EpiPen <laughs> yeah. ready. And, you know, just just kind of a special child Guthrie this is. This her road to the horse horses. Yes, yes. And so uh he's been doing he's he's got allergies. I've I've had the allergy testing done. Um and he's been doing really well. Um I've I've uh he's he, every year his immune system gets a little better and and he's he's much better with his allergies, but um we just like you said, you know, we just had all these bugs for like 2 days just come back with a vengeance and I went to get him out to ride him the other day and he had a huge baseball size welt on his face. Oh. And I looked at him. I'm like, were you bit by a rattlesnake? And uh, no, it's just a bug bite. And so I didn't, I normally have um, Dex on hand, which I think is short. Is it Dexamethasone? Uh, it's, it's like a, a steroid that you give them for, it's, it's short term, you know, if they have any flare ups. I didn't have any on hand. I don't want to really go crazy giving them that anyway. So I took to Facebook and asked about Benadryl. And uh, that's what I actually gave them, and it did work. You can give horses Benadryl. Huh. I would say the disclaimer is consult your vet How beforehand. How many pills, Benadryl, do you have to give them? The dosage varied. Some people said I need to give them like 48 pills. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I think it ended up being one pill for every 200 pounds. I accidentally got the liquid instead. So I gave them... You had them to squirt it in? The the measurement ended up being the whole bottle <laughs> for feeding. <laughs> and so I just poured it in. It was bubblegum flavor. So he lapped it up. <laughs> and uh, 
And either I can't be for sure if the Benadryl calmed everything down or if it was just the natural order of things that calmed the welts down. But um, he was still standing, didn't knock him out. And I'm going to reiterate what Mary said. We do not give uh, we do not give veterinary advice here on the show, so do not take anything Consult we say. Your vet. Yes. <laughs> Uh, this works for I Mary, may like not work for you, and might kill your horse. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. There's all sorts of things you need to look up, like make sure it doesn't have any other active ingredients. And so, you know, if if you do it, I'd say consult your vet and... Yeah, don't take our know. word for it. And, but, or, and, but I'm and glad it worked. It, 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 yeah. Now, it could um, be an expensive fix if you have to buy a whole bottle of Benadryl for every dose. Right. Yeah. And I'm not looking <laughs> to give it to them every day but you know and he doesn't he rarely gets these flare-ups anymore where he actually gets hives and he's itching like crazy but when he does i have to do something about it because then it starts this vicious cycle sleep like fall asleep the whole afternoon you know antihistamines generally amp him up um you can't really give that kind of stuff uh i don't think you're allowed to give it if you're going to be doing competitions because it it is supposed to have a sedative effect but with Guthrie, I had him on it a daily. It might actually test too. I'm not sure. Yeah, there yeah. are some. Yeah, you, know, you have to look. There are some that will test. Um, there is a long-term acting steroid shot that you can't give them because not only does it sedate them, but it makes their joints feel really good too. So it's just like giving them butte or something. Um, so you have to be careful, and you know, you, in obviously, I don't have any competitions on the horizon, um, so I didn't have a problem with that. But uh, with Guthrie, I had him on a daily antihistamine a couple years ago, and he was amped up. And I just thought it was me, my imagination, but I found out, yeah, sometimes it can have the opposite reaction, and that is something you do need to worry about if you do decide to give Benadryl. Is for some horses, it does kind of make them amped up and it raises their heart rate, makes them sweat. So, you know, again, consult your vet. Very good. Well, uh, one of the, it's appropriate today that we're talking about mosquitoes being sponsored by Horseware because uh, head on over there to horseware.com for, for all of your fly protection needs. And Jennifer yesterday was on there looking for a fly sheet for her new horse, her new thoroughbred. And I have one. He is, he is just like all the thoroughbreds we've ever had, super sensitive to the bugs. Uh, they, they, you know, thoroughbreds as you're learning are interesting creatures in that they're they're tough in many ways and you know they they will take you where you want to go quickly and and, you know they can do so many different things but they are they're fast they're wussies they're (laughs) wusses in so many other ways they have thin skin they're you know we often correlate our greyhound to the thoroughbreds because the greyhounds have thin skin. They have a lot of the same attributes as the greyhounds. They really do. It's interesting to, when you own both to see how, how much they have in common. Uh, But that's not what today's show is about. Jennifer, what's coming up? (laughs) (laughs) Coming up on today's Q and a with Mary Kitzmiller brought to you by horseware. Mary picks Stuart Pittman's brain about this fall's thoroughbred makeover. And then Marsha Harford stops by with some insight on putting out a winning performance following her win at the recent Florida Mustang makeover and filling the space in between. Mary's got an answer for a horse training fancier. So stay tuned for the fray because it's National Limerick Day and all of us couldn't be happier. Oh, look at you. Oh, that was clever. Very good. Now we have to live up to that the rest of the show. We might as well just quit. 
The only limericks I know can't be said on the air. <laughs> why, did, why would I guess that? <laughs> so, so we have a whole bunch of listener questions to get to. But before we do that, I just wanted to... I got an email yesterday from a new listener to Horses in the Morning. We have a lot of those here lately. And of course, now uh, I'll announce to your audience who only listens to you once a month, you can now listen to the live show on our app, on the Horse Radio Network app. iOS or Android, just download it on your app store. It's free. It's easy to use. And there's a live button now, so you can listen live. Apparently, people say the sound is actually better than listening on your browser on your phone. So you can listen while you're doing other things. And uh, it just makes it so much simpler. And of course, you can listen to the recorded version uh, on our Horses in the Morning on the app, too. So, But I got this email from this lady who said, uh, I'm a new listener. I don't understand how Horses in the Morning works. You seem to have different people all the time. This is how it works. We have the show started almost six years ago with Jamie Jennings and I. Jamie's on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We started the show with us five days a week. We did that for a couple of years until Jamie rudely decided to get pregnant. And then she rudely decided that she got pregnant, she would have a baby. Well, uh, and I'm just joking, people, about that. I'm being very sarcastic. So she went off and had her baby, and we made it a deal that she had to cut back her hours because now she had to, all the horses and the baby to take care of and everything. So she cut back to Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Well, we needed something to do on Tuesday and Thursday, and I hate talking to myself on the air. So what we decided to do was come up with something different on those eight days, those Tuesdays and Thursdays all month long, something different every Tuesday and Thursday with different co-hosts to mix it up. And that's why you hear different people on the on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Mary so kindly agreed to do this years ago couple years ago now, uh, we had been friends, and, and I love working with Mary, and she said, yeah, I'll come on and do it, and we've been doing it together ever since. So that's why Tuesdays and Thursdays are a little different. I hope that helps explain it. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, it's interesting because uh, a lot of our, tu- our Tuesdays and Thursday show, many of them, including Mary, show up in our top 10 of all episodes every month. So, oh, sweet. So, yeah. So, it is, uh, it's turned out very well for everybody. And I get to work with some really cool people on Tuesdays and Thursdays, including my friend Mary. So, uh, it was partly selfish on my part. Uh, so, just saying. <laughs> Mary, how about some listener yes. questions? Let's do it. Let's start with Jerry, who has one. And uh, this came in in the form of a voicemail. So, I'll play it. This is Jerry Johnson. I was leaving a training question for the great Mary Kitzmiller, movie savant and horse trainer. Uh, how do you get your horses to go over surfaces that they seem hesitant to initially, but when they know they're on their way back, they have zero issue doing? I think it's just an attitude thing, and they know what they're doing and smarter than me. So uh, what are your suggestions? Well, you know, I have the same problem with Scooter when we're out driving or even walking him. If if there's a surface change, like it goes from a catam to concrete, like driveways, and if they're mm-hmm. white concrete and you have to step mm-hmm. up an inch and then you have to step off at an inch at the other end, he just has this major issue with it and will take a flying leap, even though it's only an inch. So I'm, the, I'm, a, I'm with Jerry. And Jerry has draft horses, too, by the way. 
So they shouldn't get too airborne, hopefully, right. <laughs> going over stuff. Um, yeah, you know, uh, the I, I've, I've noticed the same thing, too. I was just leading my horse back from, a, I was at Earth Day, Texas, and I had to lead my horse down a road to get back to the stall. And anytime there was a storm drain or painted, you know, uh, painted lines in the road or like a metal strip that goes across the road, my, my Mustang wanted to do the same thing. And... Uh, from my understanding, you know, they don't have the same kind of depth perception that we have. So what may seem like a harmless discolored spot in the road to them could be a canyon. Uh, they're not sure. And so they, they're really hesitant about crossing. Um, so, uh, the, the long answer is, or I guess it would be the short answer. Um, Generally, the more I work on body control and foot control, the less those problems crop up when I'm on the trail or or, uh, riding out on the road. Um, And it doesn't seem like the two would correlate, but the more I can get control of my horse's feet, meaning, you know, my goal is 100%. I want to be able to control where you put your feet 100% of the time. Are we we all going to get there? No, you know. Uh, at at best, maybe we have 70% control of their feet. But once I have a good deal of control over where they put their feet, then I should be able to put those feet anywhere I want, That be that over a bridge or into a pond or over a spot on the road. Um, so generally working on body and foot control tends to eliminate all those problems or brings them down to a degree that they're very manageable. Now, when you're in the moment and, you know, okay, my horse is freaking out right now. What do I do? Um, if your horse is willing to cross, what I would say is spend a couple minutes getting your horse to cross repeatedly. Um, they can't jump it forever. Uh, some may think they can, <laughs> but the more you get them to cross, the more they realize, oh, it's a lot of effort bolting and jumping over this spot. Maybe I'll just walk across. So once they they cross it in a way that's more relaxed and and quiet, you can you can release on them, pet them, reward them. If you're you know inclined to do positive reinforcement, this would be a good time for a cookie. Um, and then go about your your business. And you know maybe for a few days you have to kind of stick on those spots uh, for a few minutes. Just cross you know just keep crossing over and over and over again. Just relax. You're not punishing them. You're not trying to make them hustle or anything like that. Um, pretty soon they're going to realize, all right, if I cross something and I'm silly about it, I have to keep doing it until I calm down. Maybe it's just not worth the effort. Jennifer, you you were uh, have done this with Scooter. He also will not get in the wash rack uh, because it is a change in surface again and, and has had a problem with that. But Jennifer does a, a kind of a different technique. Uh, you want to explain that a little bit, the, the uh, walking on, backing off? Well, with Scooter, he's a little bit of an alpha pony. And this works really, really well with him. Whenever I have surfaces that he doesn't want to step on or go across, I ask him to approach the surface. And when he starts to approach the surface, he takes the tension out of the lead rope, which I have put a gentle pull on. And as soon as he makes that effort to take a step towards the surface, I ask him to back straight away from the surface. And it seems to work really well with him because... The only time he backs away from another horse is if that other horse is indicating to him that that other horse is the leader of the group. For example, Beaker would make him back away when he wanted to come over and chew on Beaker's face. Beaker would make him back up because Beaker didn't want his face chewed on. And that works really well because he's going, oh, well, you're in charge. You can tell me to back up. Well, he wanted to back up because he didn't want to step on on whatever it was. So he doesn't make that connection that, oh, I want to back up because I don't want to step on it. 
he makes the connection that you just told me to back up and golly, I'm going to comply. And that just seems to sink in. And I start out with surfaces that are mildly intimidating. And then I work towards and surfaces that do, are much more intimidating. And what she'll do is she'll have him get his two feet front feet on and back him up. Have him get the two mm-hmm. front feet on, back him up. And then on to the point where he has all four feet and then back him up. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's a incremental thing where, and practicing it that way, a couple feet on, back up. And that's how we got him to load in the trailer was kind of the same way, actually. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say the same thing. That's, that's really good method for, you know, if it's, a surface that's not like crossable, you can't cross over it and come back and cross over it again. Or it's, it's a situation like a wash bay where you don't really want to be sending your horse back and forth. The ground's too hard and wet to really do that safely. That approach and retreat that you're using, I think is perfect. And I, I think the reason the backing up makes them feel more at ease is you know, especially with the trailer, if I have to go to a show and my horse isn't loading in the trailer, I tend to get more like a predator. Like I want you in there now. And then as soon as you get in there, I want to slam the door on you so we can go because we're late. (laughs) And if you act like you have all the time in the world, um, and you act like you, you let the horse know, listen, just because you get on this thing, I'm not going to meet. And if you're scared, I'm not going to immediately trap you in there and go flying down the road. Or you shouldn't do that. Sometimes we do. Um, but if if you give me a little effort, if you just look at the trailer, you you know, smell it a little bit, I'm going to back you away and tell you that's good. You don't have to get on right now. I'm not forcing you on. I just want you to try. And I think for the horse, that helps them to see, okay, I'm not being, I'm not being corralled into this against my will necessarily. I'm not being trapped because the moment they feel like they're being trapped is the moment they're going to do whatever it takes to get out of that situation. It's like that boss we've all had where we had to, it was our idea, but we had to make it their idea before they would implement it. So it's the same kind of thing, right? It has to become their idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, And really what you're rewarding, I'm just rewarding any kind of try. If you just sit there with your blinkers on, you're not paying attention, you know, that you, I, I want you to look at it, acknowledge there's a trailer there. Sometimes horses shut down so much due to fear or stress or anxiety that they'll act like there's not even a trailer there. They're not even here right now. They're in their happy place. And so I just keep working with them gently until I see them turn on, until I see there is a, those ears flick forward and their eyes brighten up and they start, okay, okay, I guess there's a trailer here. Why don't I look at it and maybe I'll smell it. And as soon as I see that try, you know, I'll go take them somewhere else for a few minutes. You know, let's go over here and graze and then we'll come back again. All right, let's take a listen to another one. This is Lindsay. Good morning, Mary. This is Lindsay Roush in Oxford, Indiana, and I had a training question for you. Um, What do you do when you've got a horse you're working in the round pen that, doesn't want to move out on you and you really have to push on them to get them going around. Thank you. I look forward to your answer. That's a really good one. Um, So generally I like to get my horse doing all three gates in the round pin walk, trot, canter, and I want them to doing, to do those moving forward and moving free and relaxed and, for most horses, that's not too big of a problem. But every once in a while, I get one for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it's the type of horse he is. Maybe he has some history or he's just generally kind of doesn't want to move out so much. 
uh, doesn't want to really move up. And I feel like, oh my gosh, I really have to increase pressure and I don't want to go there. Um, one of the things I'll do to make it a little easier to send my horse forward is instead of using a whip or like a stick and string, uh, I really like a flag because it takes very little to get quite a bit. Um, so that really helps me send a horse forward more. But in the case that, you know, I feel like, man, I'm really having increased pressure more than I'm comfortable with and the horse still isn't moving out. Lower your expectations for a little bit. You know, if you can't get your horse to canter and you feel like you're just going to have to wail on them to get them to canter, you don't want to wail on them. Um, settle for an exuberant trot and reward that. Um, and then when you can get that, usually it's not too much to ask them to move into canter. Another thing I'll say is for the horses that don't like to move out, I see a lot of pe people have trouble because. The horse is kind of sticky, lazier. They don't want to move out. And the person wants them to lope in the round pen for, or canter in the round pen for 20 minutes. It's like, well, you finally got him to canter. Now you're asking him to keep cantering. What incentive does he have to move out? You're still putting the pressure on him. So I would work more on transitions. Can you even get to canter? As soon as they find that gate, relax, release all pressure, reward, let them settle all the way back down, have a break. The horses that don't like to move out, um, giving them a reward of letting them relax and settle down and, and slow down is huge for them. And their stamina is not going to be quite as high as, say, maybe a thoroughbred. So, um, so just see if you can get them to that gate or even get them to have more energy in the gate they're already in and reward thousands of those little transitions before you start asking them to hold that gate longer and longer. Patience, patience, patience. Patience, yes. You got to build on it. That's so hard because as a, you know, we're just not patient people. Just, yeah, we want it now. We want it now. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, did you have anything to add to that? I concur 100%. Scooter is a sticky pony. And I have discovered with Scooter that the his his greatest reward is letting him stand still and do nothing. He just thinks that's the best. So I've, I've kind of taken too, that route with him. Yeah, he blends to them just like each other. Uh, if, he, if he will trot forward three quarters of the way around the round pen, it's reward time. Let's walk and take a break. Well, the next time I ask him to trot, he's going to be more willing to do it because he's going, well, I don't have to do this very long. I might as well just get it over with because I get a reward when I'm done. Well, this time maybe I'll ask him to go a whole round around the round pen before I ask him to walk. But I might keep it at one lap for quite some time. So um, I don't turn the pressure up too quick. A lot of folks want to, oh, well, he did it that well this time. Let's crank it up a little further. I don't crank it up very fast with him because he's quick, he's quick that way. He'll, no, no, no. You're, you lied to me. You're not really going to give me a break. You're going to make me go around five times this time. Well, and, so and I have I think to be careful a... not to turn it up too quick. Yeah, I think that's a really great point because people often know about the flight response in the horse and they'll, they'll, uh, most people will understand that they can also have a fight response if the flight response isn't available to them. But what some people don't see is they also have uh, this response where they will shut down. I see this a lot in donkeys and mules. Um, and this is where I learned how to be a little bit more patient and ask for less um, or ask for more appropriate 
uh, you know, have more appropriate goals for your particular horse is you're in danger if you're adding too much pressure and you're not rewarding of your horse shutting down. And when they get to that point, you can't train on them anymore. And there is not enough pressure in the world that will make them do what you want. It's just not going to happen. It's a really bad oh, spot to find with yourself star. in. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and if you find your, if you ever happen to find yourself in that position, I'm going to tell you right now, there is no winning that one. You just put your horse away, take a breather, come back the next day, try again. If they go into that mode, they're completely shut down. They're in their own little world. No training, nothing is going to work. You put them away, come back tomorrow. Do you want to try one more here before we have to get to our first guest? Let's do it. All right, one more. This is from Rosie. Who, anybody listening to the show yesterday, you heard Rosie. She gave us a Spanish lesson. Uh, so, uh... Hola, everybody. This is Rosie Morello. I'm calling because I wanted to ask Mary Kitzmiller a question. I'm currently taking lessons in Western dressage, and I'm trying to teach my older horse, Argus, um, who's age about 23, uh, how to be more flexible. Are there, and I'm trying to teach him, um, how to be okay using a carrot stick or a whip because he gets very afraid. How can I help him be, become more flexible um, using those tools, um, but first, you know, desensitizing him to them? Okay, so you kind of get the idea there. Okay, so on the flexible part... Of a 23-year-old. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, they they can be flexible. I would say take the same approach I would with any horse. Uh, for instance, if you're flexing their head and neck, um, it's, it's not a good idea, I think, just to reach around and pull their head around because uh, you'll actually get them to lay on that lead rope or that rein a lot heavier if you do that. So... Um, you know, take it in little increments. Can I get you to tip your ear to the inside? Okay. Can I see a little bit more of your inside eye? Can I get you to bring your nose around? So instead of just kind of trying to pull them around or make them conform to this, uh, frame that you want them in, just take any little give you can get. And, and I sort of like when we're talking about flexing the head and neck, I just sort of tease them around, you know, um, any little give they give me where they're trying to be more flexible, I, I give them a little release and then I ask again. So I'd say hundred and hundreds and thousands of those little baby gives and pretty soon you can get your horse to flex more and more. Um, I'd say you'll find even your older horses have the ability to reach their nose all the way around to their rump to bite at a fly. So I think they're plenty flexible as a general rule. Uh, it's just teaching them how to give to pressure that is where we, we run into more issues. So no matter what part of the body you're trying to get more flexible, just ask for 100,000 tiny little gives and little tries on his part and then you can build from there. Uh, on the whip, uh, it's usually pretty simple for me. Uh, some people say if their horse freaks out at the whip, they'll say, oh, he must have been beat with a whip in the past. It's like, no, nah, not necessarily. It's just a different tool and they don't see what it is. And um, so if I'm using a dressage whip to say do in-hand work, I just get it out. And before I really ask him to move around with it, I just rub them all over with it and, you know, uh, release pressure when they're relaxed or if you're doing positive reinforcement, you can give them a little uh, food reward. 
So I rub them all over their body, even in places I'm never going to use the whip, like up under their belly, uh, insides and outsides of their legs, on their face. And I'll work on that until they're fairly comfortable with it uh, before I actually start asking them to do anything with it. In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com. Or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware. Well, Total Saddle Fit has the cinch that you've been looking for for your Western dressage saddle. The shoulder relief cinch actually changes the position and angle of the billets to prevent the saddle tree from interfering with the shoulder. The center of the cinch is set forward to sit in the horse's natural girth groove, while the sides of the cinch are cut back to meet the billets two inches behind where the horse's natural girth groove lies. This brings the latigos from angling forward to becoming perpendicular to the ground, which reduces the saddle's tendency to be pulled forward into the shoulders. With horses that have shoulder interference without angled billets, it simply moves the billets back to keep the saddle further away from the shoulders. The secondary benefit to this shape is the cutback at the elbows. This gives more room for elbow movement as well and prevents galls in the elbow area. You can find the shoulder relief cinch at totalsaddlefit.com. That's totalsaddlefit.com. All right, let's spend about uh, five minutes, Mary, on, on your training tip, and then we'll go into some of these listener questions. I love how you have to give me a cutoff. I do. Because you know I'm gonna... I, I've done this show long I, I enough with you, Mary. You I've there. done it long enough yeah. that I know that we could go all day. Real and I subtle. like hanging real, out real with you. Subtle. By the way, it's it's National Best Friends Day, by the way. So it's just Aww. appropriate that we're doing this show with you today. Oh, that makes me feel good. That Well, just because I just insulted you. So I thought I'd make yes. you feel better. Horribly. I mean, <laughs> you can't put... You can't put a cap on my expertise <laughs> mastery, but we'll try, I guess. Did you ever read you Reader's know. Digest, Mary? Yeah, way well, back in the okay, day. Okay, good. This is the Reader's Digest version of using your energy to change your horse's energy. Fine. Um, and we are gonna <laughs> we are gonna get into this with our guest a little bit. So uh one of the auditors, I can't remember who, tagged me in a post about um like you like I can't remember the exact wording, but being able to lower your energy and how that might affect your horse's energy. And, and, you know, it's just kind of something I've, I've sort of done for so many years that I, I kind of forgot that it might be something that people aren't as aware of. And so I think it's an, it's a really great topic. Kudos to whoever brought that up. Um, and, uh, so when I talk about like your energy versus the horse's energy, I think it's, it's something, uh, there, um, 
we feed off of our horses, our horses feed off of us. And one of the biggest things I see as a precursor to people falling off is them tensing up. And, uh, and so I always have to tell people, uh, you know, relax, relax, relax. I had to tell, I, I put my assistant on a colt last night and the colt kind of jumped and I saw her knees shoot up and her heels shoot up and I had to say heels down, relax, 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 relax. And it's not only to, uh, get your seat back grounded and centered, um, and, uh, over your horse, but, uh, it will, it will bring your horse down. You would be surprised at how many times letting go of the reins instead of snatching the reins will actually diffuse a situation. And it's totally opposite of our normal instincts. We want to kind of collapse our core, tense up, bring our knees up, bring our heels up. And then we have like this kind of electric seat. And so we do that. Then the horse feels like, oh, she's really scared too. And they, they freak out and then we freak out more and we just kind of feed off of each other until something really bad happens. And, um, I always draw to mind this, this picture that I have of this cowboy I saw riding years ago. And he did the, one of the coolest, examples of really good horsemanship I think I've ever seen. And, uh, and I always think about this when I'm starting young horses or I'm on a nervous horse and I was at this, um, it's called stock horse of Texas. So it's, uh, it's a ranchy Western event. We're doing, um, cow work. We're doing raining. We're doing ranch trail, ranch pleasure. And I was in Abilene. It's a lot of West Texas cowboys with their taco hats, riding around and uh, we're all in the warm-up pen getting ready for the cow work and uh, all of a sudden this other trainer a guy I know who's a little bit you know he's a little bit weird and and acquires weird animals he had picked up this I don't know where he got it but this hackney pony and cart thing um, and it's like the most foreign thing you can imagine at a West Texas cow horse show. <laughs> and so imagine a scooter coming across the parking lot in this cart and, and, you know, his little knees are going up and down and it's, it's making a commotion. Uh, well, I was on a three-year-old. I got a right off my horse. I have been in wrecks where horses exploded over carts. I'm not doing that again. So I got off my horse and I'm holding them. And a lot of horses just kind of started spooking and scattering and jumping everywhere which way and one in front of me the, it was this horse this guy was riding around and it started to really get upset and you could Uh-oh. tell Meltdown. yeah you, you could tell something bad was going to happen so what the cool thing that this guy did he did not touch his reins he had a big loop slack in his rein he didn't pick up his hand he didn't touch his reins he didn't grab a saddle horn he didn't do anything he didn't he didn't like you know steer his horse around or anything what he did is he relaxed. He completely deepened his seat in the saddle and just went like a sack of potatoes. Like he stayed center, but his whole body was relaxed and the horse jumped left and right. And instead of him opposing that energy and fighting, you know, by, by tensing up himself, he absorbed it all. Like he just kind of went with the horse. The horse jumped one way. He, you know, the horse was saying, I'm going to spook over here. And the guy just kind of went with him, stayed completely relaxed. The horse jumped the other way. He stayed with him. And after a while, the jump started getting really slow and smaller. And the horse just totally, and this all happened within a few seconds. So the horse just totally zinned out, mellowed out, and then just stood still, licked you, relaxed everything. And I Boy, thought, that Man. takes years, though, because your natural yeah. reaction is just tense up and try not to die. Yeah, or <laughs> snatch on the rein. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And yeah, that because you're holding. Kept... That's what you're using to hold on at that point. I mean, for, for most yeah. people, right? Because it's just your first reaction. Well, to grab it. when you're falling, stop. your yeah. first reaction, or you feel like you're going to fall, your first reaction is to hold on, to grab something. <laughs> so, well, yeah. and like, um, so this cult I was putting my assistant on yesterday. Um, I was flagging her, so I was the one driving the horse, and she's sitting up there, and I was having the horse make half turns, and you know they're they're feeling the riders wait for the first time, so sometimes they stop and make a turn, and they get a little goosey. And she kept trying to grab the reins. And I said, you know, a lot of times if you snatch on that horse's face, you will create this energy that makes the horse go straight up or bolt forward. If you let them go, just let it go. Let the reins go. We're in a small pen. They're not going to go anywhere. Even if we were outside, there's an ocean on either side. You will stop eventually. Um, <laughs> but let them we'll go. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's an ocean Although on when my pony bolts, my, Jennifer keeps saying, well, you know, he's only going to go so far. He's going exactly. to get tired at some point. You're going to run exactly. out of road eventually. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of times if the horse is scared and we grab that rein, and if we grab it the way we're grabbing it, like not, you know, if I feel like I got to, I got to diffuse the situation, bend this horse down, I have to tell myself in my head, slow, 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 slow to pick up, quick to release always. So even if my horse is really starting to go, I'm going to be efficient with my timing. I want to get it done quickly, but I have to have mo slow movements. I slide my hand down. I might have to pick up firm, but it's all slow, fluid as I can be because the minute I snatch on their mouth, they're going to think they're trapped. And if they don't think they can run, the next thing they do is fight. If you take away flight, they're going to fight. And the fight is, I'm going to buck you off. I'm going to spook sideways. I'm going to rear up. I'm going to flip over. So, so a lot of times, you know, if you, and you have, you, you only get this confidence if you've done this a lot. So, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those catch 22s, but, um, a lot of times before I go to pick up, I try to let them have their face. And instead of, Snatching on their face or tensing up, I do the exact opposite of what my body wants to do, and that's relax, 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 relax. Exhale, push those heels down, absorb your horse's energy. Don't fight with them, and uh, it just takes practice and lots of hitting the ground. Unfortunately, most of the time. <laughs> but but in twenty years, if you have any bones left, you'll be fine. You'll be good. Exactly. When you're like ninety-seven, <laughs> you're gonna be a you know. You'll, you'll have it down. Yep. 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 Well, let's uh, let's go to a. Qu I liked Allison's question here, and Allison trains mustangs too. And by the way, welcome Allison as, as our newest auditor as of a couple days ago. Um, she said, "When start and this is a good question." She said, "When starting a young horse, do you worry about leads at the canter in the beginning or just moving forward? My mustang is just starting under saddle and will not pick up the left lead. Should I try and fix it now or just work on forward movement? Any exercises to help get him the correct lead?" It's a good question. That's a great question. And it's one I've kind of gone back and forth with over the years. So um, I like that she understands that forward is essential. Um, and, you know, all back to this energy and scary cults and everything. If you can get a horse moving forward, you are going to prevent a lot of trouble. And I don't mean fast, just moving out. Um, so my general rule is, I will sacrifice other things in order to get forward. So that might be the horse's lead or his inside bend or whatever. If, you know, I want to make sure we get forward first. That said, the way I used to start Colts, I would not care about their leads for like 30 days. Because in my mind, 
Well, you know, for those first 30 days, they're not going to know what hip control is or advanced hip control that it takes to set, you know, I'm not going to be able to pick up that shoulder with that inside leg, rein and, and do all this and that the other. So I'm not going to teach them leads. And I used to let them lope around on whatever lead they wanted to. Well, when it came time to, I put enough body control on that horse and I'd say, okay, we're going to work on leads. It was always a huge fight. I always had one lead I couldn't get. Um, and what I had essentially let happen is that horse got really good at rope loping the wrong direction on the wrong lead. So they kind of find a balance in that. And so the, there's nothing really compelling them to find the correct lead. And so I always got into fights with them. I could just never guarantee I'd have the correct lead every time. And so what I've learned and, and I, and, uh, a great, uh, example of this that really helped my mind getting, um, get wrapped around it is, uh, I was at a Buck Branham in clinic several years ago and we were asking about cantering and, uh, we asked the same question. Do you care about leads? And he says, yeah, first ride, I want him on the correct lead. And so we're kind of like, well, how do you do that? Because he doesn't know he, I can't even steer him at this point. How do I get the correct lead? And he told us, he said, you need to find out what leads your horses in, in the trot and what leads your horses in, in the walk. Which I'm like, well, that their feet don't no, they don't they don't have leads and and but he explained it. If I'm trotting across the pasture across my arena, you can feel, especially if you've ridden a number of colts and and young horses, you can feel like if I were to ask for the canner now, they would pick up this lead, or if I were to ask for it over here by the barn, they'd pick up this lead. No matter how balanced your horse is, you're they're going to be kind of favoring one side or the other. And I'm actually going to use things like the barn or the arena gate or corners in my arena to help figure out what lead I'm going to get. So I may not have hip control. I may not have collection. I may not have all these like little buttons in order that I think I need to get the correct lead, but I can use my timing. So as I'm trotting around and say the far corner of the arena, usually they come off of that far corner. Let's say if I'm traveling to the right, going around that, that the top left corner of the arena, almost always, if you ask for it there, you're going to get the right lead almost always. And there's things you can do to help them. You can open up your inside hip, weight, your left stirrup a little bit more look up. That's a big thing. I will lift the inside rein, even if it doesn't really do anything. I think it kind of lifts my body up and it sort of frees them up. And, and then I ask for it and, um, I'm almost always at this point able to get the lead I'm thinking about. If they don't get it, I'm not going to punish them. I'm not going to like break them down and twirl them around because they don't know. I'll just kind of allow them with my energy to go back to a trot and then I will find another spot and I'll try again. And I don't push the issue. If I think it's going to be a fight, I will sacrifice getting the correct lead. It's not that big a deal, but I'm going to start planting that seed in my horse's head. When you're going left, we're going to be in the left lead. When you're going right, we're going to be in the right lead. And I'm going to be like a lawyer. The, one of the number one rules in in being a lawyer, uh, being a trial lawyer, is you don't ask a question you don't already know the answer to. So I'm never going to ask for that lead if I'm not sure what lead I'm going to get. I'm going to wait for the opportunity. It might take me five minutes of trotting around before I'm like, yep, I bet I could get this lead if I ask now. And initially, you'll only be able to get the correct lead in certain places. But if you 
only ask the question when you're going to get the right answer and you get your horse in the habit of giving you the right answer over and over and over again, pretty soon you can ask that question anywhere and you'll get the answer you're looking for. Then later on, all the body control and collection is going to come in. Plus, one more thing, that's going to make your lead changes a lot easier because if I have a horse for the first maybe six months of training, he's gotten in a habit of when we're left, we're going on the left lead. When we're going right, we're on the right lead. Then one day I might say, okay, we're going to go on the right lead and turn left. He's going to think if he's only, if he's gotten so used to just keeping the correct lead, he's going to feel uncomfortable loping in the wrong lead, going the wrong direction. So then I, all I usually have to do at that point is switch my weight and say, hey, would, do you want to pop into the other lead? And they're usually like, oh, thank you. Okay. And it's very easy to get lead changes at that point. But if you've let him for months and months just do whatever lead he wants, he's going to get very, very good and very balanced at giving you a counter canner or incorrect lead. Glenn's on, to- Glenn's on mute and he's talking merrily oh, over there, but I agree sorry. completely. <laughs> I, I, I think I made that. Oh yeah. This wasn't the one you gave me a time cap on. I, I was looking at the clock and I freaked out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. Um, now she's so scared that I'm going to threaten her. I time. know you need to have like a buzzer. <laughs> I do. I do have buzzers. Like a Simon uh, Cowell buzzer. I have one of those. I could, I could, yes. uh, I could help you. There's one question before we, uh, we, we have to take another break. And that is, uh, how can, or Carly wants to know how she can teach her chicken to play the Star Spangled Banner. That is actually a terrific question. The answer is, <laughs> it, it really is, actually. Well, did you see so, that, by the way? Yes. yes. So the backstory of this, uh, you know, she's not crazy most of the time. Carly's only semi-crazy. Yeah, she's a know. little crazy. Crazy enough to yep. be an auditor. Yep, that's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it was Carly who posted a video of this chicken on, was it America's Got Talent? It's America's Got Talent from two weeks ago. Yeah. They have oh, some really good ones this year. And, and that was just really bizarre. Do. <laughs> that one was amazing. So these two women get up there with their chicken and they're going to say, they say, oh, our chicken will play the Star Spangled Banner. And so they're like, okay, go for it. And they put the chicken down. And for like a solid, I don't know, 15 seconds. This chicken was doing nothing. And I was just oh, like, oh, my gosh. Something. It was preening itself, licking his butt. Yeah. <laughs> and they kept having to, like, push it over to the piano. I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is going to be a disaster. And then all of a sudden when the chicken was like, okay, I'm I'm pretty and it's go time. It just hammered out the entire Star Spangled Banner in one go, um, which was crazy. And so what they oh, most likely, I'm almost 100% positive um, used with that chicken was positive reinforcement because if you've ever tried to get a chicken to do anything okay. with like... You have a better chance of getting the cat to play the Star Speckled Band. Exactly. <laughs> well, here's a funny story. So they have, and I think it's on the East Coast, they've all over the country, these chicken training camps. And you train a chicken. They have several different courses, but you'll train a chicken to like do an agility course, like weave poles. You are making go- this up. Nope. I'm not. Um, and I really want to do it, but it's like three grand. Um, For a to chicken tra- training camp? Tra- yes. And, and here's the reason you're doing chickens. It's a lot of dog trainers do this. And I think it'd be terrific for horse trainers too. Um, and the reason dog trainers are learning to train chickens instead of going to, say, a dog training camp is um, you're going to have a lot of preconceived habits 
if you want to change your, a lot of dog trainers who want to change to positive reinforcement or learn positive reinforcement, you come to it with a lot of bad habits. Like, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm going to pull on your leash to get you to do this. And the thing about dogs is dogs want to please us. They're very smart. Um, so they'll go along with it, but a chicken is not so they have a short attention span. They don't, they're not naturally inclined to please anybody but themselves. And you can't like, Put a choke chain on a chicken. You can try. It's not going to work. It's going to be, you're going to have a bad time if you do that. Um, so, so they, they're able to like form these new good habits using this sort of clean slate and getting a chicken to do all of this stuff. And chickens, uh, it's amazing what sh- they have gotten chickens to do. And the Star Spangled Banner is one of them. And what essentially this is, is to me, it looks like what I would call a behavior chain. So obviously they didn't put sheet music in front of the chicken and say, okay, here's your music. Have it memorized by America's Got Talent. They taught the chicken Are to target. Sure? A, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I mean, maybe I'm not a chicken trainer or anything, but <laughs> so, you know, they taught it to target the first key. And probably clicked and treated and they got that behavior to happen over and over and over again. They probably put it on some sort of cue. Either it's a visual cue, like the chicken sees a certain mark on the piano or, or whatever. And then what they probably did is taught it to target a new key and then did that over and over and over again. And then what they started to do was link those two keys together. So you target, you touch this one and then this one and then get a click. And then they just keep adding that new link on the chain. Now do this key, this key, and this key. Now this key, this key, this key, and this key. And you can, you can build those chains um, up to really high numbers. And it's something I actually do in horse training. And I just did a version of it this uh, uh, last week when I went to Arizona. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, you can train a horse to do this behavior, then two behaviors, then three behaviors, all in a row for one click um, and one food reward. It's pretty cool. So yes, totally possible. Here and, I thought uh, this uh, that you were just going to say I don't know how they did that, but you actually came up with a training solution for it. Oh yeah, yeah. You totally know the thing possible. is, and we talked about this with Jamie the other day. Chickens, we had chickens. Everybody's had chickens. Knows this. Chickens find eighty-five ways to die prematurely. They yes. must be keeping this chicken in like a gold cage, uh, completely immune from other chickens and any wrap. outside influences, to so that this chicken can make it to the finals. <laughs> Just, what I would do is have many, many backup chickens. Yeah, yeah. you better have something. <laughs> I think that's and the key. Can they use yeah. a backup chicken? I don't know. You know? I don't know. Who's going to know? That's the actual contestant right there. Yeah, so, who's going to know? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think this was good, good for ratings <laughs> For America, yes. Do you think Simon just drools when 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 an act like that that he knows is going to fail actually works? And he goes, "Oh God, this is going to go so viral." They just pray for this. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the only thing I'm not that would really impress me is if that chick, chicken had more than one song in his repertoire. Well, we're going to find <laughs> out when the chicken comes back. <laughs> oh my God! See one. what they should have done is say he's going to play "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star." And then Mary had a little lamb and like all those songs that have the same melody and no one would be the wiser. Oh, that's true. Look at you, musical <laughs> yes. talented Mary I'm picking so up on oh, that. Oh, did well, I not tell you I played clarinet for six years? <laughs> well, you know, my mom and dad met playing clarinet in the band. We we're married for, for like 40 years after that. Oh, so take up clarinet again, Mary. You'll find your you'll find the love of your life. 
All right, let's uh, let's do another one. Which one do you want to handle? Which one do we have time for here? You want to take Ooh, next? Um, oh, this is so hard. Um, okay, uh, here's a good one. Uh, last minute question. Uh, Stephanie Eileen said, tried doing the tarp thing, folded up small, got to be able to rub him with it, open it somewhat on his back, but couldn't for the life of me get him to put a foot on it. No matter what I did, he'd get close, but then not step on it. I stood on it. I pulled him forward. I real eased, released pressure, released pressure pressure and praised for getting closer. But that's it to the point where he'd be drawing a compass circle around us with his butt. Um, Okay. That's a very good one. I find that horses fall into two categories with the tarp. One of two categories generally. Either they're really cool with you touching them with it or they're really great about walking over it. I I don't always have one that's great with both right off the bat. Um, So with the uh, tarp, one of the things that you need to have on the ground is pretty decent foot control. So this is more than just... Well, I can get my horse to go in some circles around me and I can lead him from point A to point B and he sort of backs up sometimes. Um, Really work on, can I move your hip one step? Now, can I bring your hip back? Can I move your hip two steps? Can I move it four steps? Um, Can I move your shoulder? Can I move your rib cage? Can I get you to back off easily? Can I get you to come forward off of halter pressure? If you have those things in place, it becomes much, much easier to get your horse to put his feet on the tarp or trailer or whatever is spooking him. So if I can direct my horse's uh, feet with 100% pre- precision, that's going to be impossible, but that's the goal. That's what you have you know, on a pedestal is I can be able to put my horse's feet where, anywhere I want him, when I want him, 100% of the time. And you can take that power and put his feet over and around and through things. Um, The other thing um, I see that is a really bad habit of people trying to get their horses over and on to obstacles is they get in front of the horse and they pull them. Um, Really bad idea. uh, One for safety, because say you're on the tarp, standing in front of the tarp, trying to get your horse to come on the tarp. You pull him onto the tarp. He steps on it. It makes a noise he doesn't like. A lot of times the next step is them jumping in the air and on top of you. So don't get in front of your horse when doing this. Another reason this doesn't work um, is you might be able to get your horse to follow you over an obstacle. Um, But the problem is when you get on, I've seen this happen. People can lead their horse through an obstacle if the horse is behind them, but then they get on and the horse won't go. Well, he has nothing to follow now. So I get in the habit of being able to send my horse, drive them over an obstacle. So I'll stand behind their shoulder and um, point at the tarp and then use some driving energy from behind to get them to go over. That's going to be more similar to the energy I'm going to use when I ride. Um, Another thing that I will do, if a horse is just, I know they're going to have a huge problem with it. Usually by the time I get a tarp out and throw it on the ground, my horses all walk on it. But I've, this is what I've done. Instead of just getting a green horse out and saying, please get on this tarp, I work on, can I move your hips? Can I move your shoulders? Can I get you to back up? Can I get you to come forward? Can I get you to side pass? Can I get you to go, go 
to go in a circle this way? Can I do this at any gate I want, any speed I want? Then by the time I throw a tarp on the ground, I have such good control with my horse and my horse understands my cues so well that it's a, it's a tiny, tiny issue to get them to cross the tarp. It's not a huge deal at all. Um, but every once in a while you get one that's just got a phobia. So what I will do is I will fold the tarp into um, like horizontal wise into uh, m- you know, a million times until the tarp is like pencil thin. So I've got a long skinny tarp and I will ask my horse to cross over it like I would a ground pole. It's a lot easier for them to go over it if they can see the other side clearly and they might jump over it and that's okay. We'll keep crossing it until they just step over it easily. And then each time uh, my horse successfully does that, then I will unfold it just once. So now that little, I had a, like a skinny, maybe six inch wide tarp. Now it's like 10 inches wide and they'll cross and I'll get them to cross it several times. And then I'll unfold it one more and then one more and then one more. And by the time you get it to where your horse has to step on the tarp to cross, um, they have crossed over it so many times. You're going to have a much better chance of getting them over that tarp without too much issue. Very good. Jennifer, anything to add to that? I totally, um, driving the horse over versus leading him over, I think that's where most of us go wrong. It's it's at the beginning. And now that the horse has learned to circle around it like a wagon wheel, now we have to back up because now he's already learned what he thinks is the correct way to do it. And that's another thing is, and and when I say leading, you can lead your horse over, but I make sure that I'm not in front of the horse with them leading behind me. I'm standing either at or slightly behind their shoulder and we're going over together. So you can lead them over in that aspect. Um, Again, it's a big safety thing. And, And when you do, when, if you do lead a horse over in that way, be prepared to block them. Sometimes they will decide not to cross the tarp and instead run over you. So be ready to kind of throw a hand up, create some energy. Um, you know, my rule is you don't have to cross, but don't run over me. Um, yeah. And, you know, and that's another thing. Do not put pressure on them at the tarp. If I have trouble getting them forward, I'll move them away from the tarp, work on our go button, and then I will create a lot of energy, maybe 10 or 15 feet from the tarp. And I like to release them at the tarp, let them smell it, let them take their time. I'd rather release my horse over an obstacle than wail on them over an obstacle. Because then they associate the the obstacle with the pressure. And something that if you have to back up even further, because I've spent most of my life working with remedial horses, I've had rarely had the opportunity to start with a blank slate is if the horse cannot go happily, comfortably, and confidently over a ground pole, maybe you need to start there first because a ground Ooh. pole is going to be a lot less intimidating. Yes. And if and you can take a teensy-weensy baby step towards tarp by going from ground pole to a two-by-six plank instead of a ground Ooh, pole because that's a piece one. of wood that's wide, but it makes that piece of wood sound, if I touch it, a little bit less scary. And add visual volume to the obstacle in micro steps. And that might be of, of good use. If you have a horse that's in that remedial phase of tarp, he's already decided, you know, this is the way I deal with tarp. And now you have to back up a little bit. You can also buy a, I have one of these, it's yellow, but it's a canvas tarp. So yes, because it was here. 
Yeah, it won't make the crunchy crunchy as bad. It'll still be an odd sensation for them to step over it, but it's just like one if you can if you can break it down and take it one step back, you know, like we talked about this last month, behavior lumping versus behavior splitting. So crossing over a big open scary tarp can actually be a thousand tiny behaviors. So just, you know, break it down, break it down, break it down. Well, we have run out of time. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again on this Mary Kitzmiller episode of Horses in the Morning. You can find all of Mary's past episodes. We actually redesigned the Horses in the Morning website. If you go there and scroll down, you're going to see all the monthly episodes, mm-hmm. or, and you'll see Mary's logo there. Just click on it, and it brings you to all her past episodes, all in order there. So we've added that to the website. So if you want to go back and take a listen, you can do that. Of course, uh, you can find Mary's uh, website at marykitzmiller.com or you can find me on Facebook at Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship. And we'll be back tomorrow. Send your really bad ads into Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com and uh, she would love to get your ads so we can do them, play them tomorrow on the show. Either play them or read them tomorrow on the show. You can record them yourself. You get double credits for that and we have lots of great prizes this month as well. So we'll see you tomorrow for the Friday version. Thank you, Mary. All right. Thanks. And you would think I would be queued up with the closing music. Oh, there it is.